Hey, this is for Wednesday, October 13th, 2021. I'm Stephen Sersky. Thanks for joining me. And not going to lie, we're feeling it. I'm feeling it. My legs are feeling it. My feet are feeling it. We had another late start today because it's we've done so much walking. It's been an insane amount of walking. And everywhere in Chongqing seems to be uphill uh, it doesn't matter if you have to go downhill, you, sem- you somehow end up going uphill anyways. Um, th- this just makes me think of another reason why you'd actually book a tour uh, to let someone else think of all this stuff, to drive you around, have all that sort of organized. I mean, wh- what's what's your time worth? What are your feet worth? What are your legs worth? What's, what's it worth for you to be able to sit down at night and not go, ow? <laughs> now, to be fair... It's, it's not a big deal. I mean, I haven't had my same sort of schedule or morning routine of stretching, so uh, I'm not being as thorough in that regard. But at the same time, like walking 18,000 to 20,000 steps, I think it's going to make anyone's feet pretty much pretty sore, um, no, no matter what you sort of do. That being said, it's not like I'm going to be booking tours anytime soon. I still like uh, traveling on my own quite a bit, uh, or at least without someone sort of uh, telling me where to go and everything. But I do see the value in it. <laughs> I mean, or at least I can't uh, say that there is no value in in uh, having a tour booked, uh, even though I do like having a bit more of a freedom of uh, where we go and how long we sort of linger, because I know some of those tour groups, um, especially for... Um, like museums and other places of interest will sort of keep you on a schedule and they'll push you through it pretty quickly. Uh, Whether it's them doing it or if they actually have a legitimate reason, like just for an example, um, the uh, Shabbati steps, like those uh, steps I was talking about the other day, um, that they get packed, like like the other tour groups showing up and the other people who finally wake up and uh, you know, have their breakfast, get a late start. The ones that aren't early risers who don't get there early in the morning. I mean, these things, these places get packed at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock a.m. And then they're packed until 3, 4, 5 p.m., right? So if you want to avoid that, sometimes it's good to have a, a tour group that will sort of keep you on schedule and uh, and, and know when the peak times are and when the troughs are in that schedule so you can... Uh, you know, have some breathing room, basically. But with that being said, uh, we're off to the art gallery today, uh, or we went to the art gallery. Anyway, free entrance. Um, we knew where it was, and we did try to get to it yesterday, but we never did uh, because we got uh, caught up in all the uh, wonderful uh, interpretations of events uh, that have been <laughs> that are on display in Chongqing, which is again, I mean, it's interesting to sort of see how things have unfolded in the eyes of uh, the people living here, uh, especially the people who are making up the uh, uh, the current governance of the area. Uh, but this art gallery was actually kind of impressive. Um, <clears throat> I guess I would have never really associated uh, Chinese artists with oil painting, but then again, I'm not sure. I guess when you think of Chinese artists, it'd be more along the lines of the uh, the watercolors, calligraphy, sort of that old traditional style of uh, art or of um, uh, paintings and uh, artistic creations. 
but with this gallery, this gallery does very much show that there is a, a modern contemporary art scene, and it's alive, well, and thriving in in China. I didn't get where a lot of these uh, artists were, and it seemed to be uh, there was a collection of quite a few of them from, I guess, I'm, I'm assuming the whole country, but I, I actually, I, again, I don't know. Um, but there was two floors, and this art gallery, it's, it's all temporary, so, which is kind of a neat thing about art galleries that, that do this, is that it always changes, They're not, they don't always have the same thing. Uh, the, the bad thing is that if you miss it, then it's gone. Like, there's no permanent exhibition, and this one seemed like it's always a temporary exhibition. Something's always going to be on display, and this time we just so happened to uh, see uh, the oil paintings that were uh, done by these Chinese artists. Pretty neat. Um, I wish I could give you some names. No idea. <laughs> I mean, I've read some of them, but uh, I, I don't know if any, I didn't do any research on any of them. I know that some of them are pretty neat. Uh, and just looking at the pictures I have, um, it was great to see that they were able to convey such detail of um, parts of uh, like, uh, human life, of uh, environment, of, of nature. One of the types of oil paintings that have, has, I don't know why, they always sort of attracted my eye. Uh, and, and they seem very simple, but I, I know that there's probably a lot more work involved than meets the eye. And it's that type of oil painting where it seems to be like there's gobs of paint, where they 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 basically took the tube of paint or of uh, uh, oil paint and just squeezed it on the, the canvas and then dabbed uh, the paintbrush, not in a random order that you'd sort of associate with minimalism or some sort of experimental um, art, art, piece of artwork, but in a scene where... You know, two black gobs of uh, oil paint would represent eyes, and then more oil globs would present uh, represent the head, and so on. So, so it's basically you see the oil, um, the the paint sticking, jutting off, jutting out and off of the canvas. I don't know why. It's always just been something I've noticed that I've been. Uh, those are the types of paintings that I seem to be more attracted to than anything else. Not that I'm going to be buying any of these. It did make me wonder if I could do this on my own. So I was sort of debating whether I should buy, you know, some uh, canvas and some paints and just see what it's like to make something like that and how long. Because one thing, like when, when you look at the uh, the pricing of modern artwork, some of it can be exorbitantly overpriced, exorbitantly expensive. But the time it takes, like if you were to calculate how long it takes for your, the paint to dry, do you calculate that as an hourly wage? It's work. It's being done. You can't, it's like, uh, even like a video editor where I, uh, back in the day had to wait for something to render, but it was still using the computer resources, right? Now I know paints aren't using any com any other extra resources other than just losing the moisture in them, but you have to have a studio to uh, and it has to be dry it has to be protected from the elements from other people from other uh, anything so i mean the, watching paint dry is should you be paid for that right especially if you use this style of painting where it's like gobs of paint stuck on a canvas such philosophy you have when you're looking at these sort of 
uh, these uh, oil paintings sometimes. A lot of them were realism, though, so or at least uh, real enough um, that it wasn't experimental. Some were experimental, uh, but most did depict some scene from somewhere, which was uh, pretty neat. Uh, after the art gallery, we decided just to go have uh, noodles for lunch, a very simple uh, lunch, which I thought would be very calming, or at least not calming, not anything really, you know, uh, over the top. And let's put it this way, I couldn't feel my mouth. It, and it wasn't just the, the burn spicy, it was the numb spicy, because Sichuan has two different types of, pe uh, a few different types of pe peppers, but, um, and, and they're famous for both of them, which is kind of funny. The one that I remember first experiencing was the Sichuan peppercorn. So it's, a, it's like a little round black or gray ball or white ball. And if you bite it, your your mouth goes numb. Uh, and it's not a bad numb. It's not like you, you you feel paralyzed or anything. It's just that you <laughs> you, you feel like there's a numb spot in your mouth. And, you're, and if you have a mouthful of them, such as if you were to have a, oh, I don't know, a baijiu that was has been steeped with uh, these Sichuan peppercorns or hot pot or, I don't know, a bowl of noodles that has a bunch of them in there. Your mouth will literally feel, it will tingle. And that, that tingle will be in addition to the spice that's burning your taste buds. And you just kind of wonder, like, oh, why, why? And you see other other people eating in the noodle halls, they're just going at it. I mean, they're just, no, they're on their phone. They're not breaking into sweats. They're not going to have to do laundry after because they sweat through this shirt that they put on. It, it, it's just another day for them. <laughs> and it didn't seem like there was any way to really cut the spice, like the uh, the power. This isn't a bad thing. I, I have nothing against spice. I enjoy spicy food. Um, it was just like that that is the feeling that you have when you sort of aren't used to this type of uh, uh, food. And I kind of wonder if it's the same, but just that they're so used to it that it doesn't affect them the same way. Or is like the spice something along the lines of uh, alcohol or caffeine even, or cigarettes maybe? Anything else where you, if you can build up a tolerance to it, that after a while... Um, it might be spicy. I guess even Indian food would be like this. If you eat it enough, it doesn't feel as spicy. It doesn't burn as much because your body gets used to it. Same with your workouts. So if you do it enough time, your body sort of adapts to what you're, you're doing to it. I wonder. I don't know. I mean, this is the grand question I have as, my, as I sat there with my mouth open going, where's the cold water? And even the cold water, you put it on there. As soon as you swallow the cold water and it's out of your mouth, the spice just returns, the tingling, the burning, it returns. And it's uh, very, very, uh, well, it's it's there. It's very prominent. Um, one thing I noticed uh, out in the city, uh, Chongqing especially, if there was a pandemic going on, you would almost not even notice it. Because a lot of people don't seem to be wearing masks directly over their face. A lot of you know, the, the nose poking out or the chin strapping, a lot of that going on. And you know what? A lot of people just aren't wearing them. Now, I'm not sure if it's because the city requires 
is it has strictly regulated something or and like you only need you need an at test if you come from a high risk area or medium risk area um and since we weren't i mean we, we didn't have to uh, get a nat test before we arrived in the city so i'm not sure if it's because of the border controls or anything it seemed that people were very free sort of to do as they please that you didn't need to have maybe is the whole city vaccinated whole province vaccinated i don't know uh, but uh, yeah, it just seemed that a lot of people were bare-faced uh, rather than being masked all the time. Um, we did end up in the southern tip of the city where there was a, a neat bookstore that was, uh, there's also a branch in Beijing, but we decided to go see this one. I'm not sure why. I'm not, even sure, I'm not sure if it was the original one, um, and I even forget the, uh, the name of it. Uh, neat Bookstore Chong... Ching, I should have written down the name a little bit better. Um, Chongqing Shuchong, uh, Book City. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, this bookstore, um, Zhongshui Bookstore Project Asian Libraries, right? Zhongshuge, uh, so I, I think that's what it is. Zhongshuge, a neat bookstore because it had mirrors on the ceiling. So it it looked like there was double the amount of books in there. Not only that, think of like um, the Bodleian Library. I've never been to the Bodleian, to tell you the truth. But those old sort of European libraries that are famous in the pictures, uh, I guess probably even Harry Potter would have shown this at some point, where those book stacks, uh, the book stacks seem to go from like the ground to the, the ceiling. Well, this one achieved that effect by having mirrors installed on the ceiling for at least a part of of the of the of the store but as you walked into the store a little bit more there was another part where it had this sort of zigzagged uh staircase going up into the bookshelves so it was like a uh, a square uh, inner courtyard imagine that an inner courtyard with a glass ceiling sorry a mirrored ceiling so everything looked doubled but then the stairs up to the second level there's only two levels to it but there was, each side would have, I guess, a combination of two or three stairwells. So they kind of built up uh, onto each other. And you could walk from one platform. You, so from the ground floor, you'd walk up half a floor. And then you'd walk up the second little bit. And then finally, you'd be on the, uh, the second floor. So you'd have to do a little zigzag uh, stairwell pattern in order to actually get up to the second floor which was neat, and it did present a lot of uh, photo opportunities. They did have always someone sort of watching what people were doing. I'm not sure why. Um, like, what would they have done? <laughs> Just uh, Please don't read that book. Please don't buy that book. Please don't steal that book, maybe. I, is, is theft a huge issue in this uh, bookstore? I, actually, I think it, it could be because it was so nook and cranny-ish that... There was no, like, even with the cameras, I wonder if uh, maybe like people would just be able to slip in between bookcases or like uh, in between transitions from one part of the store to another part of the store where maybe there was a dead spot. And I only say this because, it, not that there's a big threat. No one was buying books. That, that being said, though, I did see at least two people buy books. But for the number of people that were in the bookstore and the number of people buying books... It was literally a, a 
you know, one out of every 100 was buying a book. I almost bought books. I was going to, I was going to buy another uh, Hua book because uh, he's a very easy, uh, easy-ish writer, uh, especially for a person with my level of Chinese reading ability. But I decided, since there's a, a bookstore like this in Beijing, I just figured I'd get the book in Beijing, support the company, but I would just buy it in Beijing so I didn't have to carry it back with me. Um, I have yet to go. <laughs> but uh, so I, I did have the idea to buy uh, one or two books, um, which I do want to get. But the, the other thing that sort of stopped me, I'm like, you know what? Um, I do have a lot of books that uh, I've been thinking about reading and I haven't got around to them. So if I don't have to put out the money just yet, I'd rather just leave it off, you know, for a little while. That being the case, this bookstore was like the only thing that was still alive in this mall. It was almost depressing. If you, This whole Evergrande uh, real estate thing that's hitting the news, it almost makes sense when you look, when you walk into this mall. Like we, we arrived at this mall. We're going, are you sure it's in this building? Like everything looks like it's closed. We go in. No one's checking health codes or anything. Of the six floors of the mall uh, I mean there was maybe one store on each floor that was still open or had the lights on and still open to to people all the everything else uh, was shuttered um, was blacked out like uh, boarded up basically not not ugly boarded up but like sort of prettily boarded up very bizarre and this, it was a huge mall so you're going like the, I mean, it, how does a mall like this just die what happened and the worst thing was that at some point of it there was just stank of garbage it was almost like they just didn't take out the garbage that the last day or whatever they weren't told and it just died maybe this was the uh, this mall was a victim of the pandemic it could be it could be that back uh, last year 2020 that this mall just had a bunch of these stores and the ones that I saw that were still open, there was a lot of like little baby toy stores. So things like, you know, you might want to take your kid to just to distract them from uh, screaming all the time or something. I don't know. But there was nothing at all functional of this uh, the, this mall other than toys for kids and this bookstore. That's it. Everything else was gone. There was a few other little office type uh, stores still there. Kind of like real estate agents that probably were just getting cheap rent. But uh, yeah dying mall never really seen that before to tell you the truth after the mall we made our way down to uh chaguar tea shop this one was famous it, it i can see why it was famous there's two reasons number one it is in what you would call the art district of chongqing city and this art district is located near this fine arts college, this fine arts university, where the students are given free reign to paint the walls of the neighborhood. You'd call it graffiti, you can call it art, whatever. A lot of the apartment buildings on that street were graffitied, were painted over with uh, different shapes, different colors, different patterns. Um, and like we're talking like six floors, eight floor buildings that had been completely spray painted, unified, uniformly spray painted um, with murals or different shapes 
So it was really neat to see how, I'm kind of wondering, how did they do this? If this is a student district, how did the students pull that off? Um, that was sort of my question. But so it's the art district, this tea house is famous because a couple of movies have been shot there. A couple of rap videos. I think it was the rap videos that made it really popular. Um, you can look up on YouTube. Is it Guy and Gosher? But Gosher with a dollar sign. So G-O dollar sign H-I. And Cypher is the other one. Uh, other um, Chinese rapper. I think, is it Cypher who's Chongqing? I can't remember. Uh, but they're Sichuanese. So they're from the area. They shot this video in uh, this uh, tea house. They shot a lot of uh, videos in uh, in and around Chongqing. And actually, if you ever come to Chongqing and you do any of the touristy stuff, you will see where you, the places that they show in the video, you will have visited. That, that's basically how it works. Um, or at least you have passed it. You'd be able to identify where it is, uh, even though you don't actually stop off. So... With this tea house, um, very busy. The I guess the idea is to sit down, have a cup of tea, and then eat sunflower seeds or these little nuts. And they have these nuts uh, around China. It's just like usually it's like crystal sugared nuts. They're very good. I'm not sure of the health benefits of them. Uh, and the sunflower seeds, like think of your typical sunflower seeds. And then add that noise on a constant cracking basis. There you have your uh, your uh, uh, chaguar. It was also um, what would you call it? Like they they would get together. They, there, there's some mahjong playing there. Uh, there's at least one painter who uh, was doing a lot of painting in one of the rooms. So it wasn't just a tea house. It seemed like it was more like a a community arts or community gathering place. Uh, and when we arrived there, we didn't get there till like six or seven. I can't remember, um, but uh, it, it was still full of people, and I was like the only, I was the only foreigner in the in the building. So of course I got a bunch of looks, and I attracted at least one person, one guy who I was like, "Well, can I interview you?" Uh, sure, I guess. For what? And he goes on to explain that uh, uh, anyone like. Since a lot of people, a lot of famous people have come there, he's talked to them. He's gotten videos of these. Uh, uh, there's two famous crosstalk, and crosstalk is this type of uh, Chinese uh, back banter show, um, banter stage performance. And some of them had showed up at this uh, tea house, and so he was he interviewed them as well. Uh, but he showed me pictures of other foreigners who had uh, stopped by. Um, to this tea house and that he'd also interviewed. And he was doing some sort of art project as well with it. Uh, and he's like, well, if you don't mind, I would like to use your image in one of these uh, these these art displays. I'm like, yeah, sure, go ahead, I guess. I, 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 maybe. I have no idea. Just don't make me look bad or evil or anything, I guess. Uh, I, yeah, I hope this doesn't come back to haunt me. Sort of thing that, that was sort of what's going uh, going through my head, but at the same time, I'm like, yeah, sure, go ahead, and because he, he, it wasn't distasteful anything that he was doing, uh, it was just perfectly on the uh, up and up, as at least as, so it seemed. 
and the, it was like a 10 or 16 minute I, uh, interview. I, I recorded the whole thing. Um, I'm not sure if I, I can post the whole thing, but uh, but he asked me a few questions. This was all in Chinese, and good thing my girlfriend was there to translate some of it. I wasn't his accent again. I've had trouble with the accent. I can, and he was speaking slowly enough that I like that I should be able to understand. And given a few more minutes, if I could like replay the sentence, I could probably get it the second time. Uh, but being in the moment where someone's looking at me, the camera's looking at me, I have to have a response uh, that doesn't sound completely unintelligible. Um, there was points where it was just like I couldn't understand completely what he was saying, but I was still able to like once I was given a translation, I could formulate a response in Chinese, even if sometimes my response in Chinese wasn't perfectly grammatically correct. Uh, one of the questions he asked me was, "What do you think of this uh, this tea house?" I'm like, "Well, it's great, and uh, it's uh, very gritty, very down to earth. Um, it's something that you don't see in a lot of uh, uh, Chinese cities anymore." And he's like, well, what what would you think? Like, uh, should if this city was if this tea house wasn't here anymore, what would you think? And I, and I I told him honestly, you know, what, if this type of tea house were to disappear from Chongqing, I think Chongqing would become more like Beijing. That's sort of very new. Everything has been redone in the last ten years. There's very little of the old style of living still there. Uh, that would sort of that was my impression that it was. It would have taken away a certain heart or a soul, or at least a bit of the artistic grittiness of the uh, uh, of the area, and maybe not of the entire city, but certainly of the area. That being the case, he did say that the uh, tea house was actually slated for demolition, uh, or at least the neighborhood. I think was sort of uh, being uh, considered to be uh, knocked down, basically, because and. This actually made sense when you looked at the apartment buildings, the ones that I said were graffitied. When you went out at night and you looked at them, the lights were off. And you're going, okay, if the lights are off, that means like basically no one's living there. These were dilapidated buildings that had basically been paid into over. And the city wanted to build a bridge to connect this neighborhood with the other one across uh, the river. So I guess, you know, in terms of connecting people, the bridge would actually make sense. But uh, in terms of that little sort of artistic grittiness to a city, um, yeah, it's, it certainly would uh, take out a, a huge chunk of it. He did recommend that we go eat some pig knuckle afterwards. So that's what we did. We had pig knuckle. I've never had this before. Uh, they serve this pig knuckle in a bowl of soup. Um, it, what did it taste like? Well, it tasted like pig. It tasted like bacon, kind of. Uh, it tasted like pork, right? Um, not, it was more the idea of it rather than the the taste or the feel. It was very bony, a lot of cartilage. Um, but uh, other than that, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't any worse than eating any any other part of the animal, I guess, right? Uh, so that was kind of neat. It was good to sort of talk to him, and it was uh, the one sort of disconcerting thing was that there was this woman there who I thought was with him in terms of like the filming and the um, the production, but he. She just kept on videoing me on everything I was doing. Like if I walked around and took pictures, uh, and all these, all the different tables of the Chinese people would look at me like, hello, hello, foreigner, what are you doing here? I'm like, yes, what am I doing here? This woman would be videoing me the entire time. So that was kind of weird that she was doing that, but whatever. Uh, so I took a bunch of pictures and videos of the area as well. 
And uh, uh, then then we left for another place that said it was Old Street. But when you went there, you're like, there's no Old Street. It's all new. It's all been built in the last two, three years, something like that. And it's true that this is a, it was the lakes, uh, it was the landmark Riverside. Uh, and this part actually has a couple floors to it. It's because it's a built-up embankment of the, uh, uh, what side of the river it is, I don't know. But um, it goes up two or three floors. And especially as you get close to the river, there's a bunch of restaurants, of course, that you can sit down, have a drink, uh, ha- have a bit of food. And you look out on the other side, the downtown portion. So this, one, this side, it was the south bank of the Yangtze, I guess it was, uh, or south bank of the Yangtze River, so you could, if you look north, you would see the downtown of Chongqing, and at night, all the buildings were lit up, so it looked very pretty, Uh, so that was, uh, it was kind of neat to see all that, and uh, yeah, so we walked around this old part, and it had some memorials of what time was like before, you know, old kilns, and old shops, and um, statues commemorating the sort of different workers that lived or worked in the area, uh, it wasn't old. Uh, it was very new. You could tell it was catering to the Chinese tourist, uh, and it was also very expensive for some reason. You just why? Why is why do all of these redone places have to have such expensive price tags on them? Why? What is the attraction to this? I, I don't. Like, the places that they're replacing or, or they're rebuilding were the places that served the people in the in the aspect of like if someone needed to go to the butcher or to the kiln or to you know get some clothes that's that's where they were going and they're redoing it and they're building these sort of uh memories of the uh the neighborhood these newer memories but with much more of a tourist focus so it's no longer for the people in the area it's for the people visiting the area it's bizarre and this is happening all over china this is nothing, uh, this is not isolated to Chongqing, this is not isolated to Beijing, this is part of the grand redevelopment, the grand uh, sort of rebuilding of the country that uh, you see going on in the different tiers, uh, different tiered cities. Um, and looking over this sort of tourist district, you can see, especially at night, again, the apartment buildings, and this, again, with the Evergrande debacle that's in the news, a lot of lights are off in those uh, very tall apartments that were surrounding the whole area. And you just go, wow, are you kidding? Like the, these apartments were built, obviously, by someone, some well-intentioned developer uh, and probably purchased by well-intentioned people. And they're empty. They're just not there. Anyway, so we walked towards the uh, the river and uh, sat down. There's a brew pub there called uh, Brewport. Um, I'm pretty sure it was not run by any, it was run by a Chinese business, um, decent beer. And we only stayed for one flight and that was, that was enough. Uh, one flight, six little taster glasses, basically, um, looking out over the river, uh, pretty good. It was busy. A lot of people walking around. Uh, and of course the uh, typical photographers with the really fancy, nice cameras, uh, offering to take, uh, your picture for a certain price. After that, uh, the last final little bit of adventure was the cab driver. Oh my goodness, this guy. Uh, he was not a bad guy, but it, <laughs> we were tired. It was late. And he was very talkative. He did offer us smokes, uh, which I declined. And then he's like, oh, thank you. 
And then he lights one up for himself. And so he's smoking and he's talking to us very loudly. And the very interesting thing about this guy was that it's, and this is, wasn't just him. I've noticed this a few other people in, in Chongqing would end their sentence like, hey, hey. So they would say something, uh, hey. And they, that was sort of like, you know, you know what I mean? It, it was that sort of ending of a sentence that they were saying. So I was listening to this and it was, it was kind of distracting to me uh, that uh, he was saying it. But uh, yeah, I was just, oh, that late of that tire, I was like, okay. I'm like, yeah, I just, I, I kind of just want to go home and not be reminded about how terrible my Chinese studies are going because I haven't done my vocabulary on this trip. So that was it. Anyway, we got back and uh, oh, we didn't get back until late that day. And it was pretty much a lights out very quickly after that. This was a long one, I know, but I hope you guys enjoyed that little bit of a breakdown of uh, a day through uh, Chongqing, uh, hitting up uh, various districts, the art gallery, the old street, um, the the tea house, uh, and all the, the different areas of, uh, and Pig Knuckle, of course, different areas of Chongqing, and then taking a taxi back. Thanks for listening, guys. I will put all the show notes up on my website, stephensersky.com. Thanks for listening again. We will talk again. Bye-bye.